This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. The first beer goes down easy. It's bubbly, it's sweet, tickles the back of your throat. The second beer, you're starting to enjoy it. You kick back, getting a bit more relaxed. But it's the third beer, Brent. That is. It's the third beer that where you hit that vibe, a certain mellowness comes over. It's a golden light nectar, I would describe. The pub turns into a very happy place, and you've hit that spot that's just right. And our third beer is a special guest each week that we get to interview and have a chat to not only about the beer, but also about life and other stuff that men don't talk about. I'm Brett McCallum. I'm Chris Dixon, and we'd like to talk about the third beer. So today's a very exciting day on the third beer. The first time we've worked out of the new studio. It's the first time we've had our remote co-host. Chris is uh, coming to us live over zero. How are you, brother? Pretty good, buddy. How are you? I'm good. Mate, I'm looking at you on the video screen. You're looking pretty good, mate. Looking trim, taut, and terrific. Looking sharp, buddy. Ready to roll. It's the beard. It's the beard. I'm coming in the fight, mate. I'm, I'm ready to roll when we're uh, going to do that exhibition round. When we're having our box? Yeah. Mate, will I go into training camp on Monday? How are you doing? I've got a six, six weeks training camp. I'll start on Monday. So, weighed in this morning. I'm 10 kilos lighter than I was this time last year. Pretty happy with that. 10 kilos. But, uh, mate, it's all, it's all starting. We're ready to rock and roll. So maybe in six weeks, we'll have the fight here on the basketball court. <laughs> on the basketball court. Yeah, so we've moved into the new offices. <laughs> you were going to come down to 90, weren't you? Yeah, it might be a little longer than six weeks. I can tell you that now. <laughs> maybe we've got, a, uh, we've got, we've got one, of my, uh, one of my favourite beers. Actually, our guest today, Josh, bought us in a gift. Actually, so you're not here, so he bought me a gift. And that was um, some pale ale, which I thought you might like, but you're not here. So I've kept it in the back fridge waiting oh, for oh, you. Well, I, know, I know how you love a pale ale. It's not a fruity pale ale, No, it's is not. It? It's a stone and wood. It's stone and wood, wasn't it? Cooper's. Sorry, Cooper's oh. pale ale. So I can do a Cooper's. Oh, it's just yeah. the fruity ones that you get me on every time. Yeah, yeah. Not good. Not good. Sounds life. What's been going on, brother? Yeah, mate. Moved into my new place, you know, moving forward with life, uh, you know. Change day, so that's why I'm not, not with you guys today, working a different mob. So, uh, mate, you know, life's good, always showing up uh, interesting new parts of myself that I need to unravel and better understand. So, yeah, growing as a human being, one step at a time. Uh, that, that's all we can ask for, isn't it? As long as we always grow. The new pad's good? Mate, yeah, I'm get, getting used to it. It's nice to have your own place and get it, you know, feel a bit more settled. So, the kids are staying over and, uh, you know, still unpacking boxes and stuff, so I'm right in the middle of it. But, uh, you know, feels all right. Oh, mate, that's good. Well, mate, we've had a massive couple of weeks. We've moved to the new studio up here at Arundel. Uh, yeah. We took a, a big chunk of space. The first thing to go in was the basketball court. The second thing was the bar and then the studio. So we've got everything in order. Yeah, oh, of course. So well, it, uh, the basketball court went before the bar. I think that might have been mixed up. Oh, I think it was at the same time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the same vicinity of each other, so no, it's all good. It's all good. Well, mate, we've got a really good guest with us today. He's from the hospitality industry. And what I don't normally do, as you know, is I don't normally introduce them, but I've got this introduction here, which I'm going to go through because I really liked it when I read it. Cool. That'll give us an understanding of what's going on. But firstly, mate, we've gone back to Big Ed. I've got to prepare. I'm going into training camp, so the only beer I can drink is the zero-carb beer from Burley Brewing Co., which is... 
clean, laid-back lager. No carbs, no sugar, no preservatives, but beer. So we're going to give it a crack. Hang on a sec. Too bad. Here you go, Josh. Have a crack. Hold it up near the microphone. Ah. Always. The third beer always opens the best beer. Mate, cheers to you and your gin in your coffee cup. Hush, hush. Thank you very much. Hush. Cheers, mate. Cheers. It's always good. Always good. Anyway, mate, we've got a special guest today, Joshua Clifton. He's the definition of a people person. With over 20 years in hospitality and a degree in business marketing, he's dedicated his life to learning everything there is to know about growing, managing, and marketing hospitality businesses. A few years ago, he started Master Host Coaching to pass on his knowledge and experience in the hospitality businesses around Australia. He's got his own podcast too, brother. Oh, wow. Called Slammed Hospitality Talk. So we've got a professional in the room. This could be a bit scary for me and you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to come on stuff. <laughs> Some, something to live up to. It was actually quite funny when Josh walked in the room earlier and it's, it's very clean in here. Everything's very white at the moment because it hasn't been painted or anything. And then the old table was there with the stickers all over it. I think it made him feel more at home. So that was, that was a good thing. But uh, he's got Master Host Coaching, masterhost.com, a blog post livingpurposefully.com. I thought you might like this one. A simple guide for growing in a hospitality business, a survival guide, slam hospitality talk podcast for interviews, hospitality professionals, celebrities. You'll fit into that one, brother, about what it takes to run a successful hospitality business. Welcome, Josh. Thank you. Great you to like that here. intro? I did. I that, think I... I absolutely pilfered the one you gave us. So I do <laughs> apologize. And I ruined it, but other than that, it was good. No, you haven't ruined it at all. That's uh, that's that's fantastic. First time I've heard it that way, so you you've go. done a good I job. Think probably the last time you'll hear it that way too. So you're welcome. Well, no, we can listen back <laughs> to the beer as often as he likes. Oh, look at you with the plug. I love it. <laughs> so, Josh, what, what brings you here? How did, how did we meet? Obviously, after before today, we've got a mutual friend in Ocean Reef, mm-hmm. the publisher of my book. He, um, he introduced us and uh, – Josh has got a book coming out shortly, which we'll talk about soon. But you're also working for him now. How did you meet Ocean? Oh, I met Ocean um, online, actually, um, when I oh, had the idea. There we go. Tinder? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe not. Sorry. <laughs> so um, when I decided to go down that road of writing a book, I was looking online and had no idea how to write a book or how it was published and who do you talk to and those sort of things. And um, I was going online and I was going to bookshops. And I'm like, okay, I'll contact penguin and all these people because i just had no idea how it worked i went through a couple of people and um they were pretty blunt with me and when i was trying to ask questions and learn a bit few things and i came across ocean and straight away um he answered my questions and he was really happy for me to move forward with him and yeah start that process so why did you want to write a book like what is it is it you is it something you've always wanted to do no no i failed english through school like yeah totally Absolute disaster. And um, I guess working in the hospitality industry and having that experience behind me, I wanted to give back in some regard um, that knowledge and experience that I could bring to new owners. And I've always wanted to share that knowledge and passion with people, but I didn't know how to bundle it per se. It was a case of do I go down the road of seminars, webinars, um, products, ebooks, and those sort of things. And I wrote a few ebooks as well, but I thought the book is the best way, especially a hardcover book, um, to show that my dedication that I want this to um, be a resource people can use and show my commitment to the people buying it that I'm willing to invest in this product and have something tangible. 
Like I really enjoy that part of having that tangibility of a product, which is so rare with the online space at the moment that we, yeah. we listen and we consume information that way. And I thought a book sort of covers all those grounds and enables me to share that journey a lot easier rather than going through the motions of different processes. Oh, it's funny you say that because I've, I've similar sort of thing. I failed English and I wasn't very good at school, but I, I look and, and the experiences that I shared more is about failure and mm-hmm. all the things I fucked up on. Sure. Um, whereas you're teaching people and educating them and things like that, which to me is really interesting that you failed education, but you can now educate people. It's ironic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's right. Um, my family, they come from my, my mum's a teacher and, um, you know, we, we do have a strong educational background, but Never thought I'd be doing something like that. <laughs> Never thought. I'm, I'm always into fiction things, but to do something nonfiction, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. But And does it tell your story as well? Is Absolutely, it, yeah. So it's, it's that whole process of not just um, a, a guide in the hospitality industry, but my journey through it as well and the ups and the downs and the reason why I got into it and the, the, the backstory behind it is not, a, I guess, a traditional method of how I fell into hospitality. Yeah. Um, so I was sharing that part. So there's a lot of vulnerability in it, you know, it's sharing a lot of things. And, um, but I just thought it's necessary to create that connection with that backstory because that's how I fell into the industry and that's why I'm committed to it. So one of the things we love to do, and, and uh, you've listened to a couple of these before, yeah. is that we like to talk about the shit that other blokes don't talk about. Mm. And uh, vulnerability is a really big one mm. from from a lot of stuff and Chris is actually the one that taught me how to pretty much open up and and uh, and come out and talk about this stuff. Mm. Did you find that writing about it um, made it all come back or did it help you or what did you find there? Uh, I found that um, it brought it all back, yep. like 100% all back. The good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, yeah, mm. everything. And, um, you know, when we th- think about a topic, you know, it's so easy to uh, just consume it in your head and put it aside and we're – you know, believe in it or not, but when you start putting it on paper, when it's visually in front of you and it's, it's a different feeling, you know, and once again, like with what you're doing with this podcast, you know, then, then to express it, yeah. it's a whole other level and another level of vulnerability again, but, oh, definitely. It was a, it was something I had to include to create that connection with me so people can understand, but yeah, it was tough. I, I, it made me uncomfortable. Did it, did it help heal you? You think in a way? Oh, totally. Totally. Because especially working with ocean, um, to share that story with him and the editors and everyone in his group and to show their compassion with it and the, and the way they handled it was, was amazing because, you know, when stuff was personal to me back in the day, you know, I just, you held it in, yeah. you know? So when you have some people that can connect with you and listen to your story and, and understand like, wow, that's, you've come a long way. Um, it helps tremendously. So Chris, you find people writing stuff down, Helps them in that healing process, or do you ever use that in your practice and stuff? Yeah, I mean, journaling has a long history of actually, uh, you know, getting people to explore and engage and uh, express themselves and understand and, and process. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant part, process for people to engage. Uh, I'm wondering, though, I mean, some, someone asked me the other day, do you guys think that uh, courage and vulnerability, uh, are they different or the same? Oh. Courage and vulnerability. Can you have one without the other? Yeah, I reckon you can. I'm going to go no. Yeah, okay. Why is that? Because both require doing something outside of your comfort zone normally. To do something courageous, you need to step outside of what you're used to. To share something vulnerable, you need to 
step outside of how you normally communicate something. So I guess for me there, yeah, in that regard, they're the same. It's interesting because my head goes straight to the war. I don't know why, mm. but like the courageous guys that in the war, but were they vulnerable? Like my pop, really, he really suffered badly from PTSD mm. and that sort of stuff. One of the most courageous men you'll ever have. And it probably was an issue that he wasn't that vulnerable. Mm. I, I don't know. Is, it, is that well, accurate? Or is that courage if you don't experience vulnerability? I mean, can you do something courageous if you're not frightened or concerned or if your life's not at risk? Good point. I mean, if you're just charging into a battle because you don't care about dying, it's not really courage, is it? You just don't give a shit. <laughs> fair, fair call. Yeah, that's true. I changed my answer now. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that come up? What made you ask that question? I just walked into a room and this lady grabbed me and, and asked me. It was just, uh, she just grabbed me by both arms and said, what do you think? Is courage and vulnerability the same thing? And I, my answer was yes. And I was just curious to know how you guys have responded to that. After being vulnerable and exposing yourself and mm. putting yourself down on paper, it's a, it's a very therapeutic cut, you know, kind of uh, process that we go through. But we know you well enough. Your answer wouldn't have just been yes. You would have then explained to her what you meant. So what what do you mean by that? Yeah, like I said, I don't think you can you can have one without the other. And I think that to actually engage and experience your own vulnerability is courage. I mean, you can push it down and pretend it's not there. Yeah, that's You can cool. just ignore it and you can jump into a ring and say, I don't care and just do it. But actually, if you get into your, your, your adrenaline pump and your dump, you're actually really kind of feeling a bit vulnerable. Someone's going to you know smack you in the head. So this, that whole process of saying, okay, can they really be different? Is, is one, are they one and the same thing? And like, I think they are. I want to congratulate you two guys for getting and expressing your ideas and putting it in a book because I think that expresses lots of courage. But, you know, vulnerable spaces have been explored. So well done. But is it, is it the same thing or is it the yin and the yang? And what I mean by that, you have to have one without the other, but is it the same thing? Can you have one without the other though, Brett? No, you can't. No, you can't, but are they two separate things is my question. Well, if you can't have one without the other, how are they separate? Like peas and carrots. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what Forrest Gump taught us? Why don't we ask the guest about his story? No, I was just wondering. I was just wondering. What, what do you think? <laughs> I haven't done this for a few weeks. I was just interested. Sorry. Back to subject. <laughs> I reflect on that and I think at what points in my life was I courageous and at what points was I vulnerable. And I think. Are you happy to share your story with us? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, yeah. let, let, let's listen to your story and then we can dissect it. Um, sure. So uh, like anything, all, all your major life moments happen in school, <laughs> you know, and um, social circles and, and that sort of thing, proximity and those sort of things. And um, basically what happened um, through uh, high school is and primary school, I went through a, a lot of bullying um, to the point where I wasn't even showing up to school. I was skipping classes, um, you know, by skipping. Mum and dad are listening. I just want to let them know. By skipping, I went back home, <laughs> not by not going to class. And um, you had to change schools and that sort of thing. And it was – I went through that a lot and I just felt that that was – Sorry to jump in, that I'm sitting down and I'm on video and you seem to be about six foot eight. So – Yes. <laughs> My next question was – how can a six foot two good looking rooster like you get bullied? I had a, I had a late growth spurt, so <laughs> it was after high school that I actually grew up a, a taller. And <laughs> oh, well, seriously, going to be one of my first questions is like looking at you, you're a good looking mm. human. What? Um, why? Why did they bully you? Were, were you like a short kid, a fat kid, or you just were different? 
Um, just different. Um, I was a very, uh, you know, wore my emotions on my sleeve. I was mm-hmm. a very, um, you know, to use the term loosely, a, a mother's a boy. Yeah, yeah mum's a boy, yeah. You know, and I was, and I grew up that way. That's just who I was. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with it. No, no. <laughs> Look, it, it shaped me into who I am today and, mm. and it's led me to this moment where I can share that story and that's yeah. amazing. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of people took offence. They put me as a bit of a softie. You know, um, I'm a chronic asthmatic, so I couldn't do any of the sports and hang out with the other boys during school So just because the asthma flared up. So I yeah. wasn't really connecting much with, with them and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, it just a lot of lines. I grew up in regional Australia down in um, Aubrey-Wodonga. So it was smaller communities and schools yeah. and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, a lot of gossip and, you know, if you're cast out, in a, in a regard, you know, you're out. Yeah, for sure. There weren't many options. And, um, yeah, there was um, bullying tactics. There were people making pretend events for me to go to that didn't exist to see if I would show up and that sort of thing. And It's an asshole. Oh, it was, it was brutal. And there was even the, like, gay slangs going on because I was a quite more of a feminine sort of yeah. kid, you know, and they called me gay and those sort of things and, and that sort of community. It was just that mindset, you know, you were just, if you were different, you were gay or get away yeah. or that sort of thing, an outcast basically. And that, that were the terms they used. And, yeah, and basically after school that um, I always remember that outside of home, going home, like going into a cafe or, or a restaurant or going to the local RSL with mum and dad, you know, I always enjoyed the people that served me. Yeah. You know, because that was such a fun place to be and they seemed so happy. And after school, um, I wanted to go into that industry because in the whole spectrum, and I only realized this probably about five or six years ago, Yeah, that it was like I wanted to be in an environment where you were liked. Wow. And that's how I fell into the hospitality industry and that's why I enjoyed connecting with people, making connection. If there was something wrong, I wanted to fix it. So those are the attributes of a good person in hospitality, have yeah. those skill set to want to connect and solve problems and those sort of things. And that's how that whole journey started. One of the most beautiful things I've heard today, mate. That, that truly is a beautiful story. Yeah. It is, isn't it? And I can see why you've got a passion for hospitality because it's more than just serving people, isn't it? It's about being people. Oh, uh, it's the human connection really, isn't it? It is. like, and, and it's such an overlooked industry because it's where we go to relax, unwind, have fun, yeah. spend the money that we make. You know, it's not like we all hang out at the local um, accountant firm. You know, we, yeah. we we do things that we pay to get jobs done. Then we do places to relax and have fun. And hospitality is that. So, it's I've always enjoyed being a part of that. I love how you look at it from a different angle than what a lot of other people would. Because a lot of other people, uh, either as the customers, they're serving me, mm. right, or as a some a disgruntled hospitality person, I have to serve them. Mm. You know what I mean? Whereas actually you see it as a human connection. Mm. Man, it makes me go all tinkly. It's fucking awesome, I reckon. Well, I, I just hate the term customer service. Yeah. To me, the customer service, and I wrote about it in the book, is like it's customer service is like me, you know, rubbing right back in the, um, the Renaissance sort of area and rubbing the king's feet after a three-month yeah. brigade. You know, that was a service. You were doing something. Yep. But then whereas I've always believed and I've based my whole business around is a customer experience. So I'm there to provide an experience and they're there to engage with it. And if they enjoy it, we'll have a great time together. And if they don't, it's not for them. Um, so even though the tangible part is literally serving something, it's not about that. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, young kid kind of isolated from Wobby Rodunga working or wherever it was, RSL Cafe starts off. And yep. some of these uh, people come into work, your workspace that used to give you a hard time. How did you? Uh, how did you engage? Um, well, Spitting the food, don't you? <laughs> or is that a myth? That's a myth. <laughs> Jeez, I'm glad you're not serving my food, Brett. Jeez. 
Oh, look, I get that asked a lot, yeah. you know, like do, do, do people fuck with your food? And I'm just like, <laughs> depends. the chef really you, rub the meat patty on his ball back? Yeah, yeah, like d- I said, depends. Are you a shit customer? And they're yeah. like, no, no, no. <laughs> but uh, no, look, that, that that's a myth and that's like, you know, there are things that, you know, we could do to discourage people coming back. <laughs> but from a hygiene level, I've, I've hand on my heart, I've never seen anyone mess with someone's food. Did you have the experience of someone that giving you a hard time coming in and you had to serve them? Yeah, a couple actually. When I was in bar work um, in Albury, I um, had a few people come in and they didn't know I worked there. And um, yeah, I made sure that um, I made their decisions quite difficult when they had to pick something or yeah. beer and that sort of thing. But like, you know, like the way I see it and the way I've always treated hospitality is like, you're in my world and I'm going to give you the best possible experience. But, yeah. you know, I- I'm there to provide you with something. You obviously want to get something in return. But um, yeah, if you're, a, if you're a shitty person. You know, it's just I, I need to protect myself. I need to protect my team. Of course. You know, and protect the other loyal customers that are there to have a great time. So, yeah, I didn't give them too much. If they had a few beers, you know, I'd walk around and saying, you know, boys, have you had a bit too much to drink tonight and put the pressure on, you know, all in, all in the good faith and those sort of things. But, you know, that they know who they are, you know, and some might be even listening to this when it comes out. I really out. hope they are. Do you yeah. know why? And the, the, the thing is I had, um, and it, once again, it says in my book, I had a really shitty time at school as well. I had a great time socially. Mm. I, was, I, I loved the social part. Mm. But I had a school teacher that, that just talked down to me he was an asshole. Right. And I actually wanted to name him in the book. My wife wouldn't let me. Mm. And she goes, you don't need that negative karma out there or the fact out there. This guy's probably had a really shitty life after you left. Look what you've done. Mm. And you look at like these, these kids and these bullies now where mm. they are. Mm. They're probably still sitting on that same barstool in Albury, a lot of them. Yeah. Because you, when you go back to Aubrey, oh, no, that kid, he's the one that gave me a hard time. He's still sitting there drinking the same beer. Yeah. You know what I mean? They've oh, never actually done a lot of them. I, I do. And, and, you know, I'm I'm the type of person, like, being in that environment where, like, I won't hold anything against them anymore and that sort of thing. And if, and if I see them now, I'm towering all over them. I'm twice their size. So it's great. So <laughs> I, 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 I almost want them to arc up a bit, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I'm not that person anymore. And, and you know, without them having that, pressure on me at a young age I obviously wouldn't be where I am and, and pushing myself to be the best version of myself which is one of my main goals now is to push to my limits and see what I'm capable of so in one way are you glad it's the wrong word but are you not unhappy that happened to you back then when no, you look back I, I at the time you know it's like anything any, any big major setback at the time you know it's painful but you can go two ways with pain mm. you know you can let it absorb you and never come out of that hole, and, and or you can learn from it, um, and take away the benefits. And right now, the benefits greatly outweigh what went through. So I'm I appreciate the process that I went through because it it would never have pushed me to change. So what would you tell your <laughs> self as a kid? I think I say what would you tell the boys? <laughs> <laughs> now what would you tell yourself as a kid now? Like when this was happening, when you were in a I'm sounding like you, Chris. I've, I've, I've noticed, Brett. <laughs> But when you were being bullied and stuff back then, like, mm. and you can give yourself some advice back then, what would you say? At that time when I was going through, like I had some mentors, some older kids in older years yep. in school, like when I was in seven years, 11 and 12, had some couple of mentors help me through the school counsellor because I went to school counsellor and those sort of things as well at the time. Um, and I always remember like what they said, like I would say to myself what they basically reiterated to me was like, you know, don't sacrifice who you are. Don't change for someone else who – opinion means absolutely nothing and that, you know, you can 
you will overcome this. You, it will pass. School will finish, you know, and every, everything changes after like year 10 or 11. You know, people start to go their separate ways and that's sort of thing. And that's what I noticed. You know, when we got to year 11 and 12, you know, everyone just the egos and the, and the groups and the gangs, they all just dissipated. And I always remember that, that that would be something that I'd, I'd want to hear, like just don't change, keep going, doing what you're doing. And, and I never did. You know what I mean? I stayed true to who I was and that meant being outcast and having bully tactics and stuff against me. And that's, that's fine. That's just the way it was. But, yeah. Holy shit. Don't change. Never. That's bloody good advice. No. It's good advice, isn't it? Just be true to yourself. Well, I mean, you're either changing for someone else or you change yourself, you know, and I, I wasn't going to change for someone else. And, if, you know, it was up to me whether I changed or not. And I decided, no, that's what I want to be. I don't want to, you know, at the time, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I know that sounds good, but at the time I'm like, how do I, I, there was a lot of moments where I'm like, how do I get myself involved? Oh, of course. You know, how do, what can I do to be a part of the group? But then I just kept coming back to me. I had, I had one or two really good mates who helped me through that time and I'm still mates with them today. Yeah. And they were the ones that, you know, they were, they were big players in, in the group and they always helped me out and told me about things and I'll always respect that because they were the ones that <clears throat> pulled me through that really tough time. And, you know, I always want to be involved, and but I'm just like I'm so glad I didn't get involved, you know. Did did you ever get to a point where you thought, "Fuck it, it's all over. I'm just going to go and do something stupid now." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously we're very glad you didn't do that. So well done, mm, thank you. But I've, I've I've been there. I've had kids that have gone there. I've, I've mm. and and that sort of stuff. And it's one of the most. Uh, Horrible things that, that can happen. Obviously, there's no coming back when you get one of these lives. Mm, oh, oh, totally. And I, when, when I say that, you know, it, it, it was definitely there were times when it was a passing thought where I would come home and I'm just like, you just don't understand at that age what that means. Okay, you know yeah, I, mean? I agree. Like, I agree. You, you just think, I just need an out. Mm. And you don't know that repercussions of what that actually means. But definitely, like, so much pain. Yeah. So you, you look back now and you've got, those bullies, because mm-hmm. that's what they are. Yeah. Now, why are they bullies? Um, you ever think about like what was happening in their world that made them become? And I'm not saying that's an excuse. Don't get that. Take that the wrong way. No, no, no. But I, I think when we look at bullies, because it's a major problem. Hundred mm, percent. Well, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a particular overreaction to vulnerability. Yeah. Why we bully other people is because of our own inadequacies. So it's easy to pick on and point out what's wrong with somebody else. But what I'm really expressing is my own fear that I'm somehow not good enough. And does that come from environment as well? Oh, it, all, it comes from family and older, older siblings giving us a hard time. So usually the bully is the someone that's had been bullied themselves and they think it's funny. Yeah. They probably look back. They probably don't even realise the hurt and pain that they'd caused you, you know. It's just... No, and and that was the part like that reiterating that part what you just said about the environment. Like that big part was a bit, we're a big big football community AFL. Yeah, you know, and I couldn't play. Um, I I tried to do other sports with people to stay involved, but I couldn't go down that route of football. And that was a big part. You know what I mean? If you're not playing sport, you're gay. You're gay. You know yeah. one. <laughs> it's and that's just isn't that really. It it is atrocious, and it, it was. It, but that's how it was. That's exactly how it changed? was. Or is it still the same, you reckon? I think it's – well, we're, we're online now. I think cyberbullying has just taken it to a whole other levels because at least when I was being bullied, I had an escape. I could go home to mum and dad. I could go see the psychologist. And did you do that? Did you go home to mum and dad and tell them everything was happening or did you hide totally. on the inside? No, totally. 
Totally. That's I just, awesome. Mate. I There's just, so many kids that can't do that. Well, you know, like that whole mama's boy mentality. Like I 100%. told my mum everything and I, I'm so glad I had that confidence to do that. Like that was just normal for me. And, but the, yeah, cyberbullying, man, like <laughs> I can't imagine what it is like now mm. because they are in your face 24-7. Now you cannot hide. For me, it was, you know, we didn't have phones or anything like yeah, that, obviously. Yeah. Like it was just you're in the schoolyard. You knew that's when you knew shit when was going to happen. Gonna come and do stuff. Yep. Chris, you're working a lot with kids and stuff nowadays. What Are you saying there's a massive change from physical bullying to cyberbullying? Yeah, yeah, I think there has been. And that, uh, you know, you just can't get away from it. There's, there's no escape. It's 24-7. It's contact. And it's really having an impact on how kids perceive themselves. You can't, can't just go home and switch off anymore. So uh, it's, 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 it's a very interesting time in which we live. Okay, yeah. My kids do. My kids do. My kids come home, they're not allowed to use their phones, not allowed to use their computers, not allowed to use any of that stuff. They switch off. Why can't other kids do that? For how long? Till the next day. So they get home from school and you're telling me that your teenage daughters have no digital contact with their friends until they're at school? My daughters have access to their phones till 7.30 p.m. and then they get turned off and put in the lounge room and then after that they get no contact. There's no, there's no digital in their rooms. There's no, and that's just the way we parent. Like, that's different. They might get bullied to 7.30 at night. Oh, you know, I get that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying, though, is that there is a way to turn some of this off. I think some mm. of this also comes down to the way kids are parented as I well. was going to say that's – and that's so good that you have that in place, but the majority of adults, like I would presume, wouldn't have that same rule no, structure not. in place. And that's what makes it hard because in their mind they probably feel like they're missing out. Well, they are. My, my kids hate the fact, but yeah. at the same time, they turn around and um, other parents sometimes say to us, well, how do you do that? It's like, well, just tell them to stop mm. or just turn the power off mm. or do whatever. Like there's ways to do this, but people don't like saying no anymore, mm. I reckon. What's your thoughts, Chris? Uh, I think that's a, a little bit naive. Okay. Good. In what way? Uh, well, it's it's just a rule. I mean, whether it's you're turning the phone off at 9.30 or you're turning it off at 10.30 or you're turning it off at 7.30, we're talking about kids getting bullied online. Mm. That that can, that still happens. Still happens when you're checking their phone on the way to school, or they're looking at their latest Instagram. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. So whether or not you're switching off, which I think is good practice, so I don't let my kids on it all the time. And we do have rules and regulations in place, but that's not really going to fix what we're talking. About. Do you think that it'd be harder for a kid to say they're getting bullied online than it would to actually getting physically bullied? I think once the the reality is like when you move that. For me, that physical component, yeah, you know, it unleashes a whole new. I think it gets uglier. It does because <laughs> the people that couldn't say it to your face, like yeah. even adults, you know, on social media, the same for kids, like they're going to push out a lot more. Mm. They don't have to have that conflict. They don't have that have that retaliation. So you're opening the door to a lot more people doing it, and especially when you're seeing, say, comments, for instance, like it's yep. so easy to to back up another comment with another negative and another negative. Like it's a catalyst to open the door to this whole new level of bullying, mm. you know, and there's no accountability. You know, they can just rock up to school and, and half those people that probably bullied online wouldn't do it face-to-face. Yeah, exactly. They're like, yeah, I understand. So, Chris, how do you deal with that stuff from a um, professional point of view? I don't think whether it's to your face or whether or not it's it's online or whether or not you're getting pushed and shoved. It's really about how these interactions make people feel okay, and how you can cons- mm. construct a sense of yourself through that 
difficult time. So I don't think the feeling of being bullied online or bullied to your face is actually all that different. Yep, fair call. I think you still go away with a sick feeling mm. in your belly and not feeling accepted or appreciated or liked. And it's, it's, uh, they're, they're equally as hurtful. Do you know what I mean? So for me, I don't necessarily think there's a huge distinction between the two. I just, I do think online mm. bullying is a lot easier, but uh, I still think it causes the same sense of uh, you know, self-esteem and confidence issues in those who have been harassed. Oh, 100%. Are you finding you get a lot more, uh, I was going to say business, but that's probably the wrong way to put it, but a lot more kids coming into scene now because of this? Uh, You've obviously changed work environments as well. So I think it, kids, kids are adapting faster than we are. Okay. That's a good way, good way to look at it. Yeah. So I think kids are, kids are more comfortable with like I've got a 20-year-old and a 10-year-old. A 20-year-old never uh, – well, phones and, and internet kind of grew up with her, so she was she was getting slowly exposed. And then I've got a 10-year-old that's never had anything different. And now I see two- and three-year-old kids operating phones and tablets like, you know, like they're playing with their toys, blocks. Yeah. It's really interesting, you know. I'm not sure we can put the brakes on. I think mm. kids respond and engage with it differently. I think online bullying – uh, the ability to switch off and not engage is the real talent. So, you know, I think you're doing good with putting some structure and rules, but kids need to know when something's negative and how to step away and, and not engage with that kind of behaviour. That's not- exactly the same as non-online behaviour. You need to understand when it's wrong, when you're in a situation where you shouldn't be, all that sort of stuff. You need to understand how to get out of that as well. Oh, totally. And, and with that face-to-face environment, like going through school for me, there was it was that, that sense of that physical component, you yeah. know, they were, they were bigger than me. They were stronger than me. Normally the, the king of the pack, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the biggest bully. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that will happily get into a fight. And so, but online we seem to be going down this celebrity status, like people, you've got to look like this, or yeah. this is, and then there's a lot of comparison and there's a lot of self-infliction on yourself when, you, when you're not like that. So when someone posts a picture of themselves at the pool or something, you know, they're getting a lot of bullying, but it's not that physical face-to-face, I'm bigger than you, it's that visual component, like what yeah. you look like now. And it's like I think you were spot on, though, with that. Uh, it's, just, it's whatever feelings they invoke, mm. you know, and it's, for me it was, yeah, it was fear. It was um, loneliness, you know, and um, I think that's the same, yeah, online or offline. It's a so is that of- the same with any sort of conflict, though? Do you still, do you still feel that now? Like I don't like, like I love mm. boxing. Really love boxing from a training point of view, and I mm-hmm. love watching boxing. Mm-hmm. But I hate seeing fights. Mm. Like on a footy field, mm-hmm. um, you get involved because you're there with your mates. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as I don't like seeing a a, a fight mm. on the street, you find in the hospitality industry, mm. you've put yourself into a position where you see that. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, and totally. Um, because. While I saw the outside of the hospitality and that's what I fell in love with, mm. then I had to deal with that component of you're working with people mm-hmm. and there were conflicts. And most of my roles were in management roles. Yeah. So I had to be hard on people. I had to be opinionated. I had to enforce you know, business non-negotiables and the values of what the business embodies. So, yeah, it was kind of I threw myself back into it a bit. Yeah. But I was, I was in a position of more authority, which I gained a bit more respect. That way, you know, it wasn't that schoolyard tactics, you're here, you're here. It was like, okay, you're here because of this position yeah. I can enforce. And, yeah, look, for me, like I can I, – I do seminars around Australia and I can jump in front of 10,000 people and do a speech, I'm fine. But there is still that part of me when there's a one-on-one with something and it's getting heated, like I feel that that stomach just drop internally. Mm. And it's 
nowhere near as bad as it used to be, but there is that little taste of like, this feels like a threat. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, I'm with you on the fighting thing. I can't watch people fight. It makes me uncomfortable. Well, that's the thing in a, in a bar scene, for instance. Mm. You must get where you can feel the conflict and you can feel mm. the energy in the room starting to rise and this is going to get ugly quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh. That, um, that, that putting yourself in that situation when you don't like it interests me. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the best part about hospitality, I started in, to give you a bit of background, I started in supermarkets when I turned 18. I went to nightclubs, bars then went to restaurants and then cafes and now where I am now. But when I was in bars, I remember one of my um, mentors in there saying like the moment they drink one drop of alcohol, you're in control. They're intoxicated. So you're allowed to ask them to leave and at any point you want, you know, and no matter what, you'll back me up with the decision I make. So I was allowed to cut people off. So whenever there was a fight, you know, you either jump onto security and get them involved. But you can, I can see it now a mile away. Yeah, you can see tension. Before it's going to happen. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think most of us are in tune with that um, on any level. But for me, seeing so many heated discussions, you know where it's going to go. It's just a case of walking over and basically just telling them, like, guys, all, all ladies, goes both ways. Um, you know, it's time to, uh, to keep it down or you guys are going to have to go. Mm. It stops being about me and my problem. It's the fact that it's a problem with the business and you're affecting the people around you. So it's a lot easier to break up that sort of scenario. But, oh, yeah, man, I've seen it all. The fights. Have you got injured? Yeah. Has anyone like beat you up? Um, had a few. Six? Had a few punches. Yeah, to the face. Um, Mainly by women, or <laughs> I've had a <laughs> no, no, I haven't had um, a lady. Um, I've definitely had a few kickers and screamers. Yeah, being dragged out. Um, I've had. I've been punched. I've had been had to kick people out, and had someone who I kicked out at one a.m. at a nightclub, and. He stayed around the corner until I finished at 5 a.m. and followed me home. I lived right near the bar. Oh, really? So I had to call security back to my front door and be like, there's a guy at my door banging on my door. I think it's a guy I kicked out and they came around and sorted him out. And, um, oh, but, yeah, it's, it's just it's easier in that regard because it's in the business. Yeah, you know, I can use the business as an example of it's not me having the problem with them. You've got the problem, you know, yes. and, and now I get to just remove you based on the values that we uphold in this bar. That's about that. That's cool. interesting. Mate, I'm looking at your head, Chris, and looks like you've been punched in the nose. What's going on there, buddy? Yeah, I've taken a few uh, knocks to the face, mate. <laughs> ah, just now, it looks like you've got a little uh, thing forming above your little nostril there. Five foot six and as cheeky as fuck, mate, so it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the type of bloke that uh, we've been speed talking about, eh? I'm usually the hooker <laughs> with a front rower like that, like to start a bit of lip and let the big boys finish it off. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky we only have the third beer now, eh? Yeah, that's right. That's why I stay away from rum. <laughs> Good idea. Hey, mate, <laughs> conflict resolution. You did, would have done a bit of that, Brett. I've always done a lot of conflict resolution uh, in, in different, in lots of different places, actually. In the workforce is really interesting, mm. in the business. And uh, even with my own brain, my, my brain conflicts with itself all the time. I find uh, I used to be a self-sabotage. Oh. And... Yep. Yeah, yeah, and totally we're understand. on a podcast, but he just put his hand up. Just want to, yeah, <laughs> no I, I, one saw I, that, I, but I did. totally forgot we were talking on a podcast. <laughs> just, just sorry, jumping in, but yeah, yeah. totally self sabotage, massive thing I had to overcome. Yeah, because that came back to that mentality that you know, if I do this, I'm going to put myself out there, and there's a chance to be an attack. Hundred percent being vulnerable. So yeah, self sabotage was a major thing. I've just succeeded but I shouldn't be able to succeed. Why the fuck have I succeeded? What mm. have I done to be able to succeed? And then so let's just stop that now. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it, how you mm. beat yourself up internally. Oh, the stories that we tell ourselves mm. and 
and how many of them actually come to fruition is crazy. You know, like it's so easy just to look at a situation and tell yourself a story. They're thinking that, I'm going to think this, and as a result, half the time it was just nothing. Exactly. And Mm. the same with even like with my missus, I I was like that for a long time. Mm. But she thinks that. It's like, actually, does she? Like, I haven't even asked her. It's like, why are you angry at me? No, I'm actually not. Like, Mm. what's the – yeah, it's a really interesting topic. Mm. What um, what do you find was the way you got around self-sabotage? Mentors. Mentors? Definitely. So did you go and see someone like this uh, bearded man on the screen here? <laughs> not, not that much of a beard, no. I, I, not that <laughs> sort of mentor. I had a, few, um, had a few psychology sessions, you know, back yep. in the day, but mostly they were from people in the industry. Uh, my, my co-host in my podcast, um, he's had multiple cafes and runs a barista cafe, and he really believed in me, and he was the one that pushed me to keep writing this book when I wanted to give up. Mm-hmm. 100% mentors. Yep. To, to back you. Um, I think we're always learning from someone. Do you still do it? Do you still self-sabotage? Or have you quit now? I've quit now. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a case of because, it, uh, as we talked about before, it's about that vulnerability, you know, like stepping into your discomfort, you know, and owning it and um, not being connected with an outcome, whether it's positive or negative, just doing it because you think it feels right. And if people yeah. react poorly to it, that's okay. If people react good to it, bonus. But not worrying about the outcome helped me get over self-sabotage when you could just do it and not think that I'm doing this for this reason, but like I'm just going to do it and see what happens. I, I like to think of it. I found my fuck bucket and I only give a fuck about the certain things that I give a fuck about now. And as I say, I always say Chris is the man that helped me with that and mm. he taught me how to meditate. Do you mm. meditate? Yeah, I do. How good is meditate? Mm. I love it. Still do it every day, buddy. Good on you, big fella. Every morning, hop up, first thing I do. It's awesome, whether it's one minute, ten minutes, whatever mm. I feel like at the time, but it's something. Um, I had the best game of golf I've ever played last week and because I actually meditated on every hole. So one of the things that Chris taught me was sort of how to, uh, I call it instantly meditate. It's probably called something fancy, whereas you just literally take your big deep breath, mm. <laughs> go somewhere else, and then just hit the ball, and it was the best game of golf I've ever played. And it all comes down to I did it for the whole 18 holes. <laughs> As I, normally I do it for about four. Mm-hmm. And then go, oh, fuck, I should just do that all the time. That'd be really cool. But I actually stuck with it for the whole piece and it worked. And I find it's really interesting when you can control that thing in your head, your mind, it just makes such a difference. Totally. And my experience with meditation is, you know, I, my golf game didn't improve. still the same. <laughs> um, but for me it was the reset yeah. each day just to start fresh and not, you know, forget the past and predict the future. It was like, okay, today's a new day and – put everything behind you and keep moving forward. And that's for me was yeah, meditation. The best part was just to turn off, yeah. just, just overstimulated all day, especially when you're you know, a creative thinker and a person who questions a lot of things in your life and wants to think a lot, like you need to. You need to turn the power off every now and again. <laughs> that's a good way to put it, actually. Unplugged. Yep. Turn the power off. Comes back full circle in these talks, really, don't we? <laughs> We're getting good at this, Chris. You are, brother. You are. <laughs> So looking at you now, Mm -hmm. you were this little kid that was getting bullied. Mm -hmm. You're now this massive unit of a man. (laughs) Um, Obviously, you couldn't do sport back then, but you obviously trained somehow now. Yeah. Um, What what, what got you around that? Did you get rid of your asthma or are you still an asthmatic? I'm still an asthmatic, yeah. Yeah? So I'm a chronic asthmatic, so I'm on uh, medication morning and night and Ventolin. Okay. Um, as I need it, so it's it's controlled. It's so not- I was a really bad asthmatic as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think they say grew out of it. Yeah, yeah. My dad was asthmatic; he grew out of it. Yeah. Um, 
But we changed environments. We actually moved to the coast to be closer to the water, all that sort of stuff when mm-hmm. I was a kid because I was that bad. Mm-hmm. I was in hospital all the time and that sort of stuff. Yeah, totally. And I find now um, I don't have any asthma at all. Mm-hmm. And I just find it really interesting that, or what they used to call a kid's disease, that yeah. um, the, the amount of people that still actually suffer from, from asthma and those sort of things. But yeah. you've obviously got it under control. You, you train, you do all that. So what sort mm-hmm. of training do you do? Are you a yogi like the big man on the screen? <laughs> no, my, my wife is the um, does yoga, she does Pilates. I mostly do um, calisthenics. Okay. Um, really enjoy that. So a lot of gym work, a lot of body weight. Um, but, but isn't that really like um, aerobic calisthenics? Um, like, isn't that – how does that work with your lungs? It, it, it's fine. It's – the trigger with asthma is um, more or less to do with like weather, so like okay. hot, cold, dust, yeah, pollen, those sort of things. So as soon as winter rolls around, just straight away chest infection, you know, everything just kicks you off. Now it's coming. Yeah, so I can go for a ten k run and I'd be fine. But if there's a pollen in the air or high winds and those sort of things, it could just trigger a, trigger the asthma to kick on. So it's it's quite weird that I don't necessarily get asthma from working out from. My heart That's going up, it's more to do with the elements. This triggers it oh, a lot. Yeah. Um, growing up, it, it was definitely physical activity. Yeah. But well, like I said, with the football, it was being outdoors, you know, if it was raining or something and I was but I think, was it physical activity or was it actually the nature? Like you were so saying, like if you look back then, yeah. now, actually it was raining or it was this, it was cold. We were in Albury, we don't it's like, like mm. the most coldest place on the planet. It was it was totally um, weather. Yeah, you know? like there was it was a little bit physical. Yeah, um, but not physical as much now. But um, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so yeah, calisthenics. Um, I, I like to run. I used to play a lot of uh, water polo. Okay, um, but I busted my knee, so I had to stop that. So that's when I got into more calisthenics and that sort of thing. And yeah, I loved it ever since. You should get you down to one of uh, Christopher's yoga classes. How's your yoga teacher going, brother? Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I'm not doing so much teaching at the moment. Doing a lot of practice, doing a lot of Ashtanga. So, uh, so which one's the Ashtanga? That's the hard one, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it's a more intense little one for a while. Then we can get it. There's many different levels of it. I'm just a beginner. Just chipping away. <laughs> but fellas, uh, I'm going to have to have to love you and leave you soon. I, I got to. I'm going to go back to work. No worries, mate. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Like, and as as I said before, we even started. Like these conversations just go everywhere. Mm. Um, I, I love talking about the fact that you were, you were, you were so vulnerable and you've opened your heart to us. And mm. as um, as Chris said before, like that's the best thing he's heard all day. And mm. it's it's something that we re- I don't think there's enough of it in society, especially with blokes. Like, mm. um, I'm a true believer. Blokes don't talk enough. Chris reckons they do. In, in different in different circumstances and, mm-hmm. and those sort of places, but mate, I um the the way we always finish this podcast is obviously it's all about the beer, mm-hmm. um is what we give it a rate rating and and where you sort of picture yourself when you're uh, drinking that particular beer, and we always start with Chris. He's obviously had gin in his coffee cup. <laughs> so where where are you at today, buddy? I'm in Albury, Wodonga. Have you ever been? Yeah, I presented a paper down there. That's where. Yeah, I did. Oh, did you? And uh, and got a real allergic reaction to the pollen down there. So we had, we had a sinus reaction. <laughs> Quite funny. And uh, I had a friend there that uh, had just had a big, you know, spiritual breakthrough when she was presenting with me, and uh, and uh, she seriously considered to to walk out into the the river that goes through the main town near the conference and just just fade off because she was so high. Uh, and I remember. The, 
the exquisite nature of her just engaging her own vulnerability and um, and opening to everything that was around her and and walking her through that space and popping out the other end and then these big life challenges that have popped up since and uh, I always go back to Orbi Rodonga and it was just a beautiful moment to sit with someone who had the courage to be completely 100% open it's an interesting experience uh, when we hit rock bottom I think we uh, learn a lot about ourselves that's beautiful uh, that's where I am and my what do you rate your gin in the coffee cup out of 10? <laughs> well, I've noticed you guys have had a swig every time we've had a good point. So I reckon your beers look all right. I'm going to, for an aesthetic value, you rate them as a uh, 8 out of 10. Oh, well done. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What about you, Josh? We, what we like to do is put a picture around where we'd be drinking that beer and then what we rate it out of 10. Uh, oh. Are you a fan or are you not a fan? Look for, obviously, like with, my workout routine, obviously, carbs are important. You know, yeah, yeah. got to make sure you keep. The, and the fact that that's a no carb, yeah, it, that's great. Have you had it before? Never. Oh, okay. No, so like that's 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 fantastic. Yeah, you know, like obviously, I drink beer if it's got carbs. I don't really care, but I am a bit conscious about it. If I want to go out with the boys, that'd uh, be a go to. Well, maybe we've got you a new beer. Maybe. And what do you rate it out of ten? I'd give that a for a lager. I'd go an eight. An eight. Hey, go the big head. I would go. That's pretty good. Like Burley Brewing Company would be a great sponsor of this podcast. No free ads. No free ads. Sorry. We'll have to get them on as a sponsor then. <laughs> so I am actually went to Wagga Wagga to university, which is very close to Aubrey yeah, Wodonga, no, yeah. and uh, I went there for a day, mm-hmm. and then I um, self-sabotaged myself and left after one day at Wagga. But I always wanted to play in the Wagga AFL League because they played against Aubrey, and they were one of the, the, the toughest clubs down there, but... Never had the opportunity. But, um, mate, I, I, I love this beer. It's that simple. It's, it's my favourite go-to beer. And uh, the thing is with my fight challenge starting in a couple of weeks that I uh, just to get fit again, um, then it's, uh, it's my go-to because, as you say, zero carbs, good for any aspiring athlete that we all are. <laughs> and uh, it's actually really good for your headspace. And called Big Head looks a little bit similar to me on the front cover. So, mate, I always give this a 9 out of 10. Great beer. Hmm. So, Josh, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for sharing your uh, your story, mate. We really appreciate it. I'd love to get you back sometime because uh, I'd love to hear more. Um, and uh, Chris, as usual, my friend, uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been interesting over the old video conference, hasn't it? It's been an interesting experience, mate, yeah. It's different. Well, mate, there's no excuse now. This has to happen every week. Let's, uh, let's get back on the train, buddy. We're back on the train, brother. Mate, good to see you again. And uh, we'll see you soon. Namaste. See you guys. Love to meet you, mate. See you around. Bye.